Leipzig, Germany, September 1944. Even after the Normandy landings and the recapture of Paris and Western France by the Allies, the American OSS and British SOE continued to insert agents into the Nazi-occupied Low Countries, even into Germany. Once his passengers jumped, the pilot's plan was to take the Iron Annie down to the deck and hightail it back northwest to England. It was midnight. U.S. Army Captain Ed Scanlon and British Army Captain Will Kenyon had trained together for the past three months. Outside the small side window, the night sky was pitch black, with only the faintest hint of a crescent moon shimmering across the open sea. Up ahead, he saw the thin white line of surf breaking over the rocks onto the beach. That was Germany down there, the Third Reich. And he felt the goosebumps rise on his forearms. Bromley was shocked to receive a telephone call from the Prime Minister's military aide, Churchill? Calling him, Churchill's gravelly voice was unmistakable. Colonel, we are Englishmen, you and I. That is why I need your discreet assistance in this business of the German airplane engineers. Bromley turned back to his desk and summoned Carstairs. I want you to escort our friend Captain Scanlon on his flight tonight. Do not let him out of your sight until you see him dropping through the hatch. When he does, Bromley added, with a dark, sinister glint in his eye, a parachute will be optional attire. Is that perfectly clear, Sergeant Major? As his close circle of underlings knew all too well, the later the hour became, the more Stalin drank and the more paranoid and vindictive he became. Tonight his words were slurred, his eyes were angry slits, and Beria was terrified. This time, the Great One was not testing or playing games. He was raging drunk and in one of his foulest moods. I can feel him, Stalin seethed. Churchill is gnawing at my guts like a beady-eyed rat. But still, you do nothing to stop him. He is toying with us, laughing at me at this very moment, Beria. I can feel him. Stalin slammed a fist on the desk and the bottles jumped. Must I wait until British jet airplanes are flying over the Kremlin before you do something, Beria? Must I wait until their bombs are exploding in Red Square? As he got within two miles of bad tolls, an ominous silence fell across the countryside. For the past few miles, the only Germans he saw were a few stragglers. That was when he saw the dim outline of a tank coming toward him in the distance around the next bend. He quickly pulled over to the side of the road and stopped. Scanlon knew that tank jockeys got a little crazy after being cooped up too long inside one of those big cans. Freezing and baking, stinking from diesel fumes, if they couldn't have a little fun by firing off an occasional round from their main gun, they might as well get out and walk with the infantry. Now, a long line of the faithful was queued outside the mausoleum. They were waiting patiently to have their carefully supervised one minute to walk slowly and reverently past the twin coffins of Lenin and Stalin, 
Were they looking at the real bodies? Or just wax dummies under glass? The square was crowded with thousands of Russians in shirt sleeves. Out for a walk or some quick lunchtime shopping. Most were women, but that was not surprising. With the millions of men lost during the war, the Russian population remained disproportionately female. Suddenly, his eyes stopped. A head, not fifty feet away in the shadows of the onion-shaped dome, stood a woman in a faded yellow and red flower print dress and white blouse. Slowly, she turned, and he saw her face. It was Hanny.